We welcome you again to Eastland Life Church. And we do have outlines this morning. And I don't know if anybody saw them on the table back there. But we have plenty of those out there. A couple of you guys want to go out and grab some of those and bring those in. We always like to, well, most of the time anyway, most of the time we'd like to have something in your hand to, to write down if you, if you like to do that kind of stuff. I know I do. I want to start the message off while we're getting ready to do this. Last week, Pastor Ryan brought us a message um, about grab a corner. And we used this, the board last week. In fact, on Saturday night, we had Samuel Chavaria was on the board last night, and, uh, or, or last Saturday night, and uh, four of our guys came out and, and picked him up, one on each side. And somebody said it looked like the geriatric, geriatric first responder team. If you were here that Saturday night, you saw that. But um, it was a great illustration. And at the end of the message, both on Saturday and Sunday, folks had cards to fill out of things they want to pray about, burdens and issues and, and, and people. Because, guys, if we're not after people and working with people and care about people, then who are we anyway? This is who Jesus is. Jesus was a man full of compassion for people. And so many people filled, up, filled out cards and dropped it in a box or a basket that was on the, the, uh, the board. And we still have those today. We haven't looked at them. I, have, I thought maybe they might be too personal for folks to, for, for anyone else to look at them. It was just like a prayer request up to the Lord. But today, we're going to take these uh, requests and at the conclusion of the service, we're going to pray over these as well as pray for each other. I want us to enter into a time of worship today um, and praying for each other that God would be pleased with and also something that we want to learn how to do. Because God's good to us, guys. God's good to us and people need the Lord. So if you need an outline, if you put your hand up, Brandon's got some back there, and I'm going to put these over here in just a little while. We're going to, we're going to deal with that. We're going to pray for that. So just put your hand up, and Mr. Brandon, or brother, brother, Mr., Mr. Brother, y'all say that, Mr. Brother. Yeah, see, now you learned something today. Y'all just come up and uh, put your hand up, and Brandon will be glad to do that. And I'm going to be preaching to you a message today called How to Feel compassion how to feel compassion as we look out into our world there are people everywhere that need help everywhere you look there are people that need help and I want to submit to you today that it's on us as God's people to be the instrument of help to people who are in trouble Many times people in churches believe their job is simply to come to church, go through a service, something like that, and then when it's over, they just kind of go back into their world, and we look at people who are suffering and hurting and people that are not really like us, and we look at them in a way that's anything but compassion. And I want us to work on that today. And I realize this whole introduction, you've heard very little of what I've had to say because something else is happening here today. Because we're going to illustrate to you what this looks like. The story that I'm going to read today is going to be about a man who was going to Jericho and he fell among thieves and, and he ended up suffering. He ended up half dead. 
And I want to talk to you about the attitude that we have towards people who need help. I heard this a long time ago. John Maxwell gave this illustration. I want to start my message by saying this. A man was walking down the road and fell into a pit. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there in the pit. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall into that pit. A Pharisee said, bad people fall into pits. A newspaper reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. Confucius said, if you listen to me, you wouldn't be in the pit. Buddha said, the pit's only a state of mind. And a realist said, that's a pit. A tax man asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. And the city inspector asked him if he had a permit to, be, to build a, or dig a pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person came along and said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said things could get worse. A pessimist said they're going to get worse. An inconvenienced person made excuses of why they didn't have time. But Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, knelt down and lifted him out of the pit. Compassion, ladies and gentlemen. Compassion is the why of whatever it takes. Our new series, we're going to put that on the board, is called Whatever It Takes. And as we go through Christmas season and the beginning of next year, I'm going to ask the church to develop a mindset of whatever it takes. Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come to earth for whatever it takes to reach you and me. And he has called us to do the same. And so today we want to develop that Character quality that will cause us to live this way and to do what God has called us to do. Have you ever wondered why we don't reach more people? I would say it's because we lack compassion. Compassion is the why of whatever it takes. If we have compassion, then we will do whatever it takes. <clears throat> As I introduce the idea of why, I realize that some whys are too big to be discovered, you know. Job, in Job chapter 3, spent a lot of time asking why, and maybe you and I do the same. When we suffer, we tend to say, why is this happening? Why did this happen to me? Maybe some of you have said things like, why, God, did you make me like I am? Or why did you put me in this situation? Or why did you give me this place to live? Some of them are just too big to be discovered. We're just not going to know everything. And if you're the kind of person that has to have answers to everything, you're going to be a little bit miserable in this life because you're just simply not going to know everything. Some whys are unnecessary. But ladies and gentlemen, when we understand why we do what we do and we have compassion, then that why can be the motivation for positive, active living. When we know who we are, why we're here and we know what we've received from God, that can motivate us for positive, active living. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is useless if we're quiet and passive. We've got the greatest message the world's ever known, and it's on us to share it. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to wear a silly-looking tie to do whatever it takes and make sure I don't mess up the next time I play music. Amen? 
Bible says in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, and pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. What a story. The priest and the Levite. Jesus said the Samaritan was on a journey. I guess the Samaritan was on vacation. The priest and the Levite were just going about their business. And as the priest and the Levite were going about their business, when they came upon this person... This person was laying there half dead. You know what they did? They shot away. They went on to the other side. They looked another direction. Ladies and gentlemen, I would say in the church today, we see people like this all day long. And yet many times, instead of engaging and spending time and having compassion, we do the exact opposite. Jesus was given this story because a lawyer came to him, tempting him. And a lawyer came to him asking, what's the great commandment, the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus heard or replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments, the whole law and prophets fall. They hang on these two commandments. Everything. You're like, I wish I knew what God wants out of me. Well, if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor and yourself, that's what he's looking for. And so, the lawyer attempting to trick Jesus and trip him up says, well, who's my neighbor? Because maybe he's a lot like some of us. You know what? I can't just do good for everybody. Are you talking about the people that live next to me? And Jesus gave this story. And at the end of the story, Jesus asked, which one of the three were neighbor to this person? And the answer was the one who showed mercy. There's a great lesson in this story. There's a great lesson about how we respond to needs when needs arrive. The biblical exegesis of this story goes like this. The robber... The thieves, who is that? That is Satan. The Bible says Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. Satan comes and he offers you life, but all he does is he traps you, he tricks you, he gets you on a hook, and he drags you through life, and he punishes you and torments you, and that's all that he has to offer. There is no life coming from Satan, only darkness, only death. Jesus said he is the thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. In other words, to leave you half dead. The man has been destroyed almost permanently, almost completely. The robbers took everything from him. So he has no money. He has no supplies. 
and he has no one to care for his body, nonetheless his soul. The Bible says, Jesus says, he fell into this trouble. Could possibly be the consequence of a decision. For whatever reason, he made the decision to travel this dangerous road. That might not have been his fault. But nevertheless, he went that way. You know what? With us, when we find ourselves half dead, many times it's a consequence of a bad decision or a series of bad decisions. You know, it's not just one decision that makes it so bad. It's when it's compounded by habitual bad decisions. Your habits is what's going to get you in this situation. We talk about it in 3D Life Recovery and there are people in 3D Life Recovery that are celebrating recovery. People that are saying, I've been clean from substance abuse for three months, eight months, nine months, three years. One time somebody said 28 years, and we just celebrate. Isn't it interesting when we're younger, we're thinking, man, I wish I could get somewhere so I could party and celebrate. But when we get older and we've got a little sense about us, we celebrate it when we're not trapped by that. You see, partying and all that kind of stuff is a trap. It's a trap. I mean, out here on the highway, there's a place and a sign that says, Thrive. Every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, right. Nobody thrives from drug use. I know of no one that can stand up before people like this and say, I thank God for marijuana. Doesn't that sound silly? I thank God that I'm using a chemical that can change my brain and change my thinking and change everything about me. Nobody gets better because of drug use. Nobody's life is enhanced by abusing substances. Nobody. It's a trap. It's a pit. And Satan is using it and dangling it before us in order to bring us down and leave us half dead. That's what we find. You look around Metropolis, you see people walking around, they have backpacks. You know why? Because they have made bad decisions and bad choices and the devil has beat them up. And sadly in the church, many times in the church we see it, but we don't see it. We don't really look at it. Sometimes we complain, boy, somebody needs to do something about that. I'm glad you're here today because we've read about the robber and the man, but now let's talk about the help. Is there any help for this man? What would you think? Now, this story was very interesting because there was a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The priest was what we might call today the preacher. The Levite were members of the tribe of Levi, and all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But Levites were given jobs to do inside the temple and the, and the tabernacle and the um, sanctuaries. So the Levite could be spoken of as maybe a deacon, a servant. And then there's a Samaritan. You all know who a Samaritan was? If you asked a religious Jew of Jesus today what they thought of Samaritans, they would not speak very kindly of them. They probably would talk to them in very ugly ways, in disparaging words and terms, and say, I just wish they weren't even here. And I just wonder today, what kind of attitude do we have towards people who are hurting? 
You see, if you were laying there half dead and you saw the preacher walking up the road, I can imagine the man seeing the priest walk up the road was like, oh, finally, somebody's here to take care of me. But you know what happened? He just walked by. He looked the other way, just walked by. Can you imagine what went through the man's heart and mind when he saw that even the person who is supposed to be closest to God, when he sees me at my worst, he does nothing. Then the Levite shows up. Well, here comes the deacon. Maybe he's going to help. No, he doesn't help. He goes around on the other side. I wonder if people in Metropolis, I wonder if they're looking at the church and they see the church coming down the road and all we do is go by. I can tell you, if you don't have any compassion in your heart, that's exactly what you'll do. Because compassion motivates us to positive, active living, doing something about it. James said it like this, if someone comes to your food or comes to your door wanting food and they're cold, they don't have a coat, you open the door, you look at them, and you say, be warmed and filled. I'll pray for you. James says that's useless because you're not providing what the person needs. And he says, how can the love of God dwell in your heart if that's your attitude? Walking by this person, if this is what they need, if they need help, they need care, this man had no money. He couldn't heal himself. And when the Samaritan came around, the Samaritan was the one that the Jews looked down on. And I think that's why Jesus used the Samaritan in the story. And the Samaritan comes by and he sees him. And the Samaritan takes care of him. The Bible says he felt compassion, came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, put him on his own beast, brought him to an end, took care of him, and then left money with the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and if it costs any more, when I come back through, I'll pay you what I, what, what I owe you. That is a story of compassion, ladies and gentlemen. Can I say to you today that compassion will cost you something? And if your only attitude is to look out for number one, then you're not going to ever be a compassionate person. This situation, ladies and gentlemen, was designed for whatever it takes. When you see somebody in this situation, then it needs whatever it takes because if you don't have that attitude, there'll never be any solution. The solution for it, ladies and gentlemen, is compassion. Now, my message today is on how to feel compassion. And I'm going to talk to you on that level. I want to work with your emotional side. And I realize we cannot command our emotions. Did you know that? You cannot command yourself to feel a certain way. Emotions, the will, and the intellect are a, a triune entity that feed off each other. We don't really know which one is which. I think the will kind of starts everything because the Bible says you'll find God if you seek him with all your heart. So if you decide something, then that gets your thinking started. 
which makes your emotions catch up. And my thing today is that we learn how to feel compassion. Are you willing to do that? The message is not about guilt today. The message is about going, I need help with compassion. I've been listening to Keith Green. Anybody heard Keith Green and his music? He's an old rocker who became a Christian in the 60s and 70s, probably 70s. And when he got saved, he was just totally sold out to God. Don't lose me right here, guys. And he wrote songs that get right to the heart. There's a song that I've been listening to this week, and I want to sing it for you soon. It's called, Oh, Lord, You're Beautiful. And in the, the recording, he says this. He says, I wrote a letter to the Lord, and in the letter I wrote, God, you're going to have to do something about my heart. And that really struck me. He said, my heart's been getting hard. He says, not because of stuff I'm doing, but because of stuff I'm not doing. He says, I want my heart to be tender before you. Can any of us say that's where we are today? God, do something about my heart. Do something about my compassion. Change me from the inside out. Change my heart, oh Lord. The solution to everything today is compassion. Let me put a definition on the board. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. If you don't care about what someone else is going through, then you have no compassion. If you don't want to do something about the suffering that someone's going through or that someone, the suffering that someone could go through, then you don't have any compassion. The Greek word, I'm going to put that on the board. I challenge anybody to pronounce it. Splaxitsomai. I practice. If anybody can speak that back to me, I'll buy you a Christmas mug. I'm just saying. My niece tried to pull that over on me yesterday. She came up to me and said, I can say the word. I said, say it. She said, schizophrenia. <laughs> Not it. Splaxitsomai. Big, long word. And the Greeks, it's a Greek word. The Greeks felt like all the emotions came from the inside, even the bowels. They would literally say, I love you with all my bowels. That sounds funny to us. But the word means that I moved on the inside with compassion. Can anybody say today, God, you got to do something about my heart. Let me suggest some things to you. I'm going to give you a few attitudes that lack compassion. <clears throat> when we see problems like this and realize that everybody who's addicted is this person. When we realize that everybody who is lost without Jesus is this person. When we realize that everybody with emotional or mental or physical problems without Jesus is this person. Attitudes that lack compassion would say this. Not my problem. This is not my problem. Just walk around. Look the other way. How about this? This is a good one. I can't help this person because this is my time. It's a little inconvenient for me right now because I know that person needs something, but this is, maybe you'd say it's my day off. Or I'm on vacation. Can I remind you the Samaritan was on a journey? 
Do you realize that hurting people are there and when God brings the opportunity, it doesn't matter. The truth is, none of this is my time. It's all his time. How about this? It's too much trouble. Do you think it'll cost you something to take care of this person? Acts of compassion can cost you things. It can take your time. I don't know if I want to say it, but I think I do. Last summer, last spring, actually, there were two little girls that needed someone to take care of them. And God put it on my wife and I's heart to take care of them. And we took care of them for four and a half months. And we're old, really old. For child rearing, extremely old. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because today those two little girls are with their grandparents. And life is good for them. And all the nights we were up at night and we started this for an entire month up every night because they, they had trouble sleeping. But I want you to know there's two happy little kids right now who got four and a half months of training here in the church. And they, they know how to pray and they know Jesus. And the last thing I saw was a picture of the little girls with their daddy, which they prayed for for a long time and a big hug going on. I want to tell you, it's worth it. It'll cost you something, but it's worth it. I mean, what are you going to live for anyway? Are you going to live for yourself? If you live for yourself, you end up like this. Too much trouble? Are you kidding? Is anything too much trouble? What did God go through to get me? Amen? Without the grace of God, that's where I am today. I used to be there. I'm no different than anybody here. How about this? It's someone else's responsibility. That's a good one, isn't it? Years ago in church circles, when I first started preaching, there was an illustration floating around about this man in the church named someone else. Well, who's going to open the doors for the church today? Someone else will do that. Who's going to take care of the nursery? Someone else will do that. Who's going to take care of life kids and house youth ministry? Someone else will do that. Who's going to make sure the church is clean? Someone else is going to do that. Who's going to go visit the sick? Someone else is going to do that. Who's going to take care of the person laying there half dead? Someone else. Man, I wish I could find someone else. I'd hire him. Is it someone else's problem or not? How about this one? I'm tired. That's a great reason to not do anything, right? Hey, mothers, did you ever get tired at 3 o'clock in the morning when the kid was sick? Did you go in and chew out the kid? Hey, I'm tired. I'm off today. You're just going to have to fend for yourself. You kidding? You love your kid. It doesn't matter what you have to do. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's, it doesn't matter what you have to do. You just do it. Why? Because you have compassion. So let's get to the main thrust of the message now. How to feel compassion. Let me give you five things that will help you to feel compassion, okay? And these are things you can write down. First, let's put it up there. Look at it. The Bible says the Samaritan came up upon the person half dead and saw him. I'm afraid sometimes we don't see it. Can anybody say that today? I want to tell you, the church that met last night, almost universally, everybody said the same thing to me today, or last night. Boy, I see it, and I need God to change my heart. 
and you got to look at it. Why do we have Life Academy? Because children need structure and they need the Lord and they need somebody that loves them and can show them how to learn and how to think and how to love Jesus. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Is it worth it? Of course it is. Why? Because children are important to God. Why do we do 3D Life Recovery? Is it worth it? Are you kidding? Because people are lost without God. You've got to look at it. If you want to know more about what we do, show up at 5 o'clock. You'll see what we're doing. You, maybe you want to put your hands to it and help us do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time that the church stopped looking at Metropolis and saying, oh, what a horrible place this is, and, and see that it's a place where people are sick and harassed and helpless and addicted and they're hopeless, and we have the instruments of hope in our hands. And let's do it together. But you got to look at it. Because you're never going to have compassion if you always look the other way. Second thing, think on it. Think about it a little bit. Realize that guy walking down the street or lady walking down the street with a backpack on their back and they have no place to go, yes, they're going to be cold tonight. Yes. Does that matter? What well, does it matter because it's not me, because it's them? I want to remind you at one point that person was somebody's child. Can you imagine what it was like to be a child? Look at our children and bring them up there and look at them and look at them and think that this eight-year-old kid one day is going to be that person. If you can see that person as that eight-year-old, you will see it differently. They say, but, but they've, done, they've made their own decisions. Of course they have. And you have too, haven't you? But God's been merciful to me. Think on it. The next thing. Consider the how. Consider how they got there. If you just look at somebody and say, oh, they're just an old drunk. I want you to understand at some point they were deceived. They were deceived. Somebody said, you can take this drink. It won't bother you. See, the thing about it is, yeah, you might take a drink. But you know what could happen? A drink can take you. And I'll tell you something else. 100% of the people that have problem with alcohol don't realize it. Now, that's worth playing with, right? Now, think about it. They all say, I don't really have a problem. Almost universally. Consider the how. How did they get there? Number four, reject the why. In other words, at some point we got to see them who they are. And we, you know, just we look at them and say, well, they did all these horrible things and that's why they are where they are. But when we do that, we're not very compassionate. One thing that helps me is when I realize that most of those kind of things, I've made most of those decisions at some time in my life, and God's been merciful to me, and if God's been merciful to me, I cannot walk past that person. I can't do it. Yes, I can, just like you can, but I sure don't want to. I don't want to walk around them anymore. I don't want to look at the world and just try to make sure that I take care of me and that I can survive until it's all over. I want to invest the time that I have left 
reaching people like this. How about you? But if all you do is say, well, you know, they're this way because of that, and therefore, if you ever label people, then you're lacking compassion. The last one, become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. You see, you might not have compassion because Jesus has never shown compassion on you, or maybe he has, but you've not received it. Can I tell you something about what Jesus is like? I'm going to put some scripture on the board. Matthew 9, 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. What did he feel? Compassion. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt what? Compassion for them and healed their sick. This goes further than just the New Testament. Psalm 103.8 says the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Ladies and gentlemen, what we need today is to become more like Jesus. And so today as we get ready to pray over these cards and over the people that we know who need the Lord, I'm just going to ask you, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing today to be a whatever it takes person and let's together lock arms together and move into this community and be that type of revolutionary leader with radical compassion. I want to leave the message like this. I want to read to you something that I heard in a conference in 2011. I still have the paper today. And this thing radically changed the way I thought at that time. And it's by a guy named Sergio De La Mora. And I don't know much more about him other than the fact that he pastors in San Diego. And I don't know if he still pastors. I don't know where he is now. But I, he said something and it's on paper. And I want to read it to you today. And I want to ask you, would you agree with me that this is where we need to be? God, we need to change our heart. And you know, you, to change your heart, you start with a decision. Listen to me. To change your heart, you start with a decision. Listen to me. To change your heart, you start with a decision. You don't start with with self-loathing and, and they, those kind of things. You just simply say, God, I agree. And this is what this man said, and Bernie's going to get ready to come lead us because I want to sing a song for you. It says this. This is my declaration to love people back to life, and if you agree with me, I want to hear you. I want to hear you talk back to me. My declaration to love people back to life says this. I will love all people regardless of color, creed, or past deeds. I will pursue every prompting of the Holy Spirit regardless of the personal cost or loss of comfort to me. I will give whatever it takes to rescue and restore people who have been broken, bruised, and victimized. I will no longer fear darkness, but instead I will have faith that the light in me is enough to penetrate the darkness around me. I will admit that the church is not just a place for the socially accepted, neither is it a country club for Christians who desire to simply dwell with those of their own kind. I believe the church is the hospital for the sick, the refuge for the rejected, and the life university that prepares leaders to impact their society. This is my declaration to love people back to life again. This is how I will serve my generation until Jesus comes back again. What say you, church? Come on, church.
And I'm going to have Bernie come and I want to sing a song. And the song simply says, change my heart, oh God. And there's two invitations for today. Number one, if you're laying on this bed today, if this is who you are, there's help for you. And number two, if you know Jesus Christ and you know that your heart needs to be changed and you know your heart needs to be uh, softened today, would you agree with God and let's have God restore the compassion in our heart? Let's